0: So we're in the middle of a teaching series on fear and faith in uncertain times. Are these times uncertain? Yes, they are uncertain. And we've talked about the the idea of scarcity and abundance, and we've talked about technology and comparing. And so today, I want to drill down a little bit more specific about this idea of abundance. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, two people made the news for something absolutely extraordinary. Okay, and the first is this man right here, Ron Reed, Ronald Reed. Ronald Reed worked as a gas station attendant. He was a gas pumper. And then when that job closed out, because I don't know if you know this, you have to pump your own gas now, he got a job as a janitor at J.C. Penney, like the pinnacle of fashion for Americans, right? And so he cleaned J.C. Penney department stores. When he was old, he had a meeting with his attorney, a woman named, uh, what was her name? Lori Rowell. And Lori Rowell said that Mr. Reed looked so frail, she decided to walk him to his car. So this is in Vermont. It's very hilly. They get outside, and his car, his car is some distance from her law firm. So they climb this long, steep hill. And when she gets to the top of the hill, she's, he identifies his 2007 Toyota Yaris, who owns one of those? Ron Reed did. And she figured out why he parked up there. You want to know why? No parking meters. Cha-ching! Saved 25 cents. When he died, a few years later, the rest of the world got in on what the lawyer already knew. He had managed to save and invest and accumulate $8 million, and he gave it all away. He gave $1.2 million to the Brooks Memorial Library, in Brattleboro, uh, vermont and he gave 4.8 million to the brattleboro memorial hospital not to be outdone there was a woman and her name was sylvia bloom sylvia bloom worked in a manhattan law firm she took the subway to work every day this woman worked until she was 96 years old come on 96 years old And when she died a year later, at the ripe old age of 97, the world was stunned to find out that she too had managed to accumulate $8.2 million through frugality and saving and investing, and like Ronald Reed, she gave it all away. $6 million went to the Henry Street Settlement, which helps youth and education in New York City. Would you say that Ronald Reed and Sylvia Bloom were generous? Any, any question about their generosity? No, no. And I would name a couple of things that are just true that kind of flesh it out. One, they lived on less than what they made. And two, they gave away more than half of what they had. Um, in, 2010, in 2010, Warren Buffett uh, got along with uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, and they started this giving pledge. So Warren Buffett said, I'm a good billionaire. I don't, none of us in this room know what that's like. <laughs> Some of us in this room are dollar heirs, okay? Or a quarter heirs, okay? I get it. But but be with billion, billionaires. So Warren Buffett said, I'm going to give away most of my wealth and I want to challenge the rest of the billionaires of the world, be billionaires, to give away at least half of their wealth. As of 2022, uh 236 billionaires have taken the pledge from 28 different countries. Altogether, they have given away or in the process of giving away $600 billion. To put that in perspective, that was the entire budget of the United States federal government before the pandemic. (laughs) And that's what they're giving away. So, let me ask, return to, to Ron and Sylvia for a moment. If Ron and Sylvia had lived their lives a little differently, let's say Sylvia loved clothing and fashion. She lived in New York. And every year, every season, she just got an entirely new wardrobe. And she treated herself to the best restaurants of New York City. And at one point that, you know, the Salvation Army, they're always there every Christmas, it with their kettles and their bells, ring, 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 ring. I just want to get in Kroger. I don't want to shake down. Ring, 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 <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Avoid eye contact. Ring, 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 ring. And let's say that Sylvia plunked down 50 bucks, you know, because she was feeling a little guilty that day, and she put it in there. Out of the $8 million that passed through her hands, looking at her life, would you then say that she was generous? No. No, you wouldn't. And so that's how it works with us. And ironically, it works similarly with God. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of extravagant generosity, but I have. I've told this story before, but it impacted me. When somebody is extravagantly generous with you, it impacts you. It sticks with you, and often it changes you. So, when I was a sophomore in college, I went to campus, I went to good old dear old Wheaton, and I paid my tuition bill. And I had made a math mistake. I got it wrong. And so, when I paid the bill, I had nothing left. Nothing left for books, nothing left for expenses, this is back in the day when the profs didn't have their textbooks on reserve in the library. And so you had to have them. And I was, I was panicked. What am I going to do? I don't even know how I'm going to do the next semester tuition because I'm working all semester to pay for next semester. And, and I, was, I was in a whirling dervish. And I had all the guys on my dormitory floor. Pray, pray for me, pray for me. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm going to have to go back home to Indiana. I don't know. That night... A guy slipped a check under my door, and the check was for $500. I barely knew him. He lived down the hall. He wasn't my roommate. He wasn't in my friend circle. And to make matters worse, he was a missionary kid. He grew up in one of those god-awful places in Central Africa where they're always killing each other, and he couldn't stay with his parents because it wasn't safe, so he had to go to school in Kenya. He grew up in Kenya with a headmaster and everybody in school. And he showed up at Wheaton with $1,000 total for the whole year. And he gave me 500 I was bowled over. Like, you got to be kidding me. And it stuck with me. It impacted me. So why is, it, why is it that some people are just extraordinarily generous and other people are extraordinarily stingy? I want to draw out a few people, not real people, because we don't want to be that kind of a church. I don't watch The Simpsons, but I'm familiar with Montgomery Burns. He owns the nuclear power plant. He's constantly cutting corners and making things not safe for the workers. Why? So he can be richer. Stingy. I did watch Count, I did watch Count Olaf. Sorry, I want to go back to Count Olaf. I did watch a series of extraordinary events, or uh, thank you, unfortunate events, Boy, it really was unfortunate. I love the narration, but Count Olaf—he's supposed to take care of these two kids who are heir and heiress to a massive fortune, and he won't spend a dime on them. It's terrible. Three of them, yes, three of them. I did watch the—I did watch the whole thing, believe it or not. And then, last but not least, there's Mr. Krabs from uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. The guy will chase down a nickel down the block, but he like—he won't so. Here's what I want to tell you. It's not the amount. It's not the amount of money. It's not the $2 or the $8 million or the $50. It's never the amount. It's always the amount in proportion to what the person has that makes them either generous or stingy, okay? And that's my big idea today. Really, it's generosity is always measured proportionately, always. So I I want to get into a passage in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 19, And it's the story of a wee little man. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But before I get there, I want to remind you that Jesus is God. And when Jesus does something, God's doing something. When Jesus says something, God's saying something. And Jesus had the opportunity to watch people one day go into the temple. And they went into the temple and I don't know if you know this, but there were seven little containers for people to drop their gifts to the Lord at the temple. And money back then wasn't paper money or digital money like we have now, it was coins. And coins are heavy and loud, and they take up space. And so one wealthy person after another was coming into the temple treasury and doing the whole cling, 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 cling like the coin star machine at Kroger. Cling, clink cling, 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 cling. Okay? And then this woman quietly sneaks up to one of the containers and slips in two lepta, two small coins. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, that woman has given more. So in other words, Jesus' perspective, God's perspective, it wasn't the amount of money that all the wealthy people put in. It was in proportion to what they had. So in Luke chapter 19, we have this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So, on the way into Jericho, Jesus encounters a blind man, heals the blind man. So the blind man's in front going, I can hear, I can see, I can see. So there's a commotion as Jesus enters the city of Jericho. Everybody's like, hey, oh my goodness, it's, it's blind Barnabas. He can see now. And, and, and there's excitement and there's a crowd and they're lining the streets. Now Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and we have professions in the United States that we look down upon, right? So, if you were to go in polite company and say, I'm this profession, most people would be like, oh. So, I could Just to name one, I produce porn. If someone said that and you were at a gathering and someone said that, you'd be like, Whoa, what? <laughs> it would be shaking for you. So, to say that you're a tax collector had that kind of effect. It had that kind of effect in the first century because tax collectors – They just didn't collect taxes, they collected more than what Caesar wanted, and they lined their own pockets with it, and they became rich off of the taxes that you had to pay, or the Roman legion would come in and shake you until they got it, okay? So as Jesus moves through Jericho, Zacchaeus wants to see the teacher. So he runs ahead and he climbs a sycamore tree, which in this part of the world would have been a short trunk with wide lateral branches so that he can see Jesus. And we infer from that that Zacchaeus was small. (laughs) Usually when he's depicted, they also make him bald. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay? And so the story continues. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But... But the people were displeased. He's gone to the, be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. This word, I must, day stay at your house today. Jesus consistently leads people to God that other people have given up on or written off. And notice what they include, the people include Zacchaeus in, this group of, quote, notorious sinners. He's one of them. Not cool, Jesus. Don't you know who Zacchaeus is? Don't you know how he's treated everybody around the Jericho region? And you're going to spend time at his house? You're going to dine with him? Little tax tyrant. <laughs> and then something else gets muttered under their breath as they're talking about Zacchaeus. If Jesus had listened to the crowds, he would have never stayed at Zacchaeus's home. So his visit conveys acceptance. I don't know if you've noticed this about Jesus, but Jesus frontloads his relationships with lost people with love and acceptance. And oftentimes in this interchange, people are changed. Some people are changed for the better. Other people go away unchanged as it is today. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Now, in this century, generous was considered 20%. If you gave away 20% of your income, revenue, wealth, crops, you were considered a generous person. 50% was just overkill, extravagant, unheard of. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Are you insane? And then to insist that he's going to pay back four times what he took from people wrongly, This all means that Zacchaeus is going to go from wealthiest person in Jericho to poorest person in Jericho. (laughs) He's going to go through all of his money. What does Jesus say about him? Salvation has come to his home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. He has this mindset of abundance, and he's being generous. That's the fruit of the repentance in his life. So you have this encounter with Zacchaeus in Jesus, and it's eerily similar to our secretary and our janitor. And anyone in Jericho would have had the gomer Gomer pile thing on the other side of this. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Like, what? Zacchaeus is what now? And he's doing what? And it would have created that kind of awe and amazement. For Solomon... And the ancients, real wisdom was something that you pursued. And just like in the New Testament, with which we see with Jesus in generosity, we also see it in the Old Testament. And in the book of Proverbs, there are these sayings and expressions that kind of try to encapsulate a part of living life well. We have expressions for them in English. We have our own Proverbs in English. Don't cry over practice makes Beggars can't be when the cat's away, right? So we have these expressions for how life works, and life works a particular way often enough, and it gets an expression, and that's what Proverbs is. And in Proverbs chapter 3, we have some shorthand expressions for what it means to trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and depend not on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. In all your ways, as another translation puts it, in all your relational ways, husband-wife ways, father-son ways, in all your job ways, boss-employee ways, in all your financial ways, as you're paying bills ways and generating income ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And when you've staked your life on God's ways, he'll direct your paths. In the Hebrew, the word used is literally, he'll straighten your path." Straight paths are safe roads. And then it leads into Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, and he'll fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. So one of the things that God's people were supposed to do is take the first part of the harvest and return that to God. Crops, lambs, cattle, the first went to God. Now, you need to understand that that's risky. That's risky. I don't know if you've ever had animals, and you've tried to have golden doodles, and you, I'm, you're I'm going to get rich because I'm going to make golden doodle puppies, and I'm going to sell them every year, and this is going to be awesome, and I don't understand why you're not getting on with the program, Mitch. Golden doodle wealth, it's just a thing, okay? <laughs> and so so you have... but. Pregnancies don't always result in babies. Babies don't always make it full term. You don't know how it's going to work out. And so giving away the first is risky because you don't know if there's going to be a second or a third. In, in, in Exodus chapter 13, God talks about that. Dedicate your, the firstborn, the firstborn son, daughter that you have. Dedicate the first of any of the lambs or the cattle that you have. It involves risk. It involves risk. And then there's the promise, verse ten. He'll fill your bat vats with, uh, he'll fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. In other words, the yields of juice are so great here that it's going to take many collecting pools to have all the juice that's left over. But our inclination, let's just name it, our inclination is to hold on to what we have, to guard what we have and to only open up when we feel safe. But I want to suggest to you that to love is to risk. I have found this true in marriage relationships, in relationships with my children, in relationships with friends, in any aspect of my life. When I love, I'm risking. It's how it works. And so I want to turn to Jesus. And so if they'll put this picture up, my next picture... Who is Jesus to God? It's up on the screen. Who is Jesus to God? Say that again. His one and only son. What? God gave his one and only son before anyone ever confessed or repented? God took a risk of extravagant generosity. It's celebrated in virtually every church. We have a cross as a symbol of that act of sacrifice and love. And that sacrifice, that risk, it multiplied, didn't it? On the day of resurrection, there were a few hundred people. There's several hundred million people on the other side of this. It multiplied. So again, generosity is always measured proportionately. You do this, I do this, and ironically, God does this too. And so I want to talk about how this plays out practically. Um, Am I giving back to God or not? So a few questions before I get to some practical application. Am I giving back to God right now? If not, why not? Um, Number two, is my giving intentional and is my giving proportionately generous? And if Warren Buffett were looking over my finances, or God forbid my neighbor were looking over my finances, would my neighbor and Warren Buffett agree? And then does my current financial situation have me over a barrel? If it does, why not get God involved in the whole process? (laughs) Why not get God involved in the whole process? So if I can talk about how to practically take this home, in this mindset of scarcity and abundance, I want to challenge you to start giving a portion of your income. A portion, meaning a percentage. I started at 10% on my net. That's where I started. If that scares you, start at 1%. But pick a percent, not a number. And the reason is because we measure generosity proportionately. So so start with a percent. Start somewhere and just start giving. Um, Mike Lesage would tell me this when I was younger. He would say, Max, when I give to God first, it's like I have money at the end of the month, and whenever I wait around to do the God-giving, it's like it's never there. He said, it's the weirdest thing ever, and I can't explain it. And so, give back to God first. Wesley Wilmer kind of echoes this in a book. uh, What's the name of the book? God and Your Stuff, okay? God and Your Stuff. And he says, one, give to God first. Write that check. Make that payment before others, or it's going to get gobbled up. Give according to your means, let me flesh this out. If you're 57 years old, the kids are grown and gone, you're not paying for college anymore, and you're also at the peak of your earning you know, earning curve, you should be giving proportionately more than the single parent who's got 3 4 kids and right? So give proportionately and give according to your means. Give regularly. If you're paid every 2 weeks, give every 2 weeks or give once a month, but make it regular. Give quietly. Don't make a show of it. In other words, don't do the whole thing they were doing in the temple where they came in with their bags and did the coin star machine so that everybody could clap. Give quietly and give with a proper attitude. Um, Paul talks about how it should be cheerful and not an act of compulsion. So if you're giving out of compulsion, I'm not sure that's a good thing to do, <laughs> okay? I have some more things to kind of take home along these lines. And if Caleb will put up my next couple of things be willing to loan things out part of the one of the ways that we become generous is being generous with what we have being willing to loan things out and possibly give away things you don't need um when i lived in our when we lived in our first home it was a ranch home it had a fenced-in yard and i had a mower that i loved and then my dad gave me a mower he didn't want anymore it was a nicer mower So the red one was the one that I loved because it was lightweight and I could just tool around the yard and I could knock that yard out like nobody's business. Dad gave me this big green John Deere, you know, oh, it was fancy, but, you know, it was like pushing around a tank around the yard. So I used the red mower. Well, as life and God sometimes work, I had a friend and their mower died. And they came to me because they knew I had two mowers And they wanted to borrow one of my mowers. And they got to my house before I came home. And Jenny let them into the backyard where the shed was. And they looked in the shed and they saw the nice green John Deere mower. And they saw the red mower. And they made their own conclusion. And guess which mower they pulled out of the shed? The red one. And they had it in my driveway as I pulled up, getting ready to load it into their truck. And i had the internal thing that we sometimes have that i had to go out with god what am i going to do am i going to explain to them that they're doing it wrong (laughs) 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 and appear more generous than i am because oh i'm giving you the john deere am i just going to let them drive away and deal with the stuff that i need to deal with god i opted for option number two and they drove off with my red mower And I had a little less hold on things or things had a little less hold on me as a result. This congregation has many stories of people doing that with cars. Generations has had more than one dollar car, hundred dollar car that's passed from one hand to another. And again, it's just a way of being willing to loan things out or give them away that you no longer need. Lastly, I want to encourage you in terms of developing this generosity muscle, this abundance muscle, is for certain categories of people, pay them extra. If, you, if you're sending somebody for childcare and it's in home, like not an institution, if you've got pet groomers, hairdressers, people who are in business for themselves, pay them extra. I have somebody that's in one of those categories and I would always pay them a good 40% more than what they told me the bill was. And he and I have known each other now for probably 15 years. And he grew up in an uber-Christian home. Dad was uber-religious, but a hypocrite in the worst possible ways. And so when he became an adult, guess what he became? An atheist. God's not real. This stuff is made up. You know, religion is bad. And so now he's having to interact with a pastor who represents everything in his life that's bad and wrong, and his father that... And this guy, this pastor, is paying him extra. One year, two years, three years, four years. And so now we're not just talking about stuff, we're talking about his life. And it gets to the point where one week he calls me out of the blue and he wants to talk to me and have me pray and work with him because he decides to give his life back to God. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence, okay? So why am I teaching on this, this in this way? One reason is that fear, fear will cause you to hold on to things, and you'll have fists like this. Fear will tell you that there's not enough, you don't have enough. They're, oh, i got to worry, oh, i got to hold on to it, and you're going to be clutchy, clutchy. Faith will enable you to see that there is enough. There's enough for you, there's enough to go around, and you can trust God and you'll have open hands about it. Um, And I would suggest this as well. Um, One of the things I've learned in my own life is that regular proportional generosity for me has grown my faith. When Talmadge surprised me with that $500 check when I was a student at Wheaton College, it started me on a path because I grew up in a home where I had a spirit of scarcity when I became a young adult. My parents never had anything, it seemed like. I had the same clothes I wore all the time. Anytime I wanted to do anything extra or special, the answer was always, guess what? No, no, there's no money for that. You can't do that. We don't have it. It's not there, blah, 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 right? And so when I became an adult, I had that mindset that I took with me. And Talmadge was the first front row seat to somebody doing something that, as far as I could see, was absolutely ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? That's stupid. That's foolish. I actually tried to give him back his check. I did. I approached him, and I was like, I can't take this. You only have $1,000. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, because friends, mutual friends had told me how much he had total. And, and I'll never forget what he, like, he, he gave me this look, and he said, Max, I prayed about this. God's very clear about what <laughs> I'm supposed to do. Like, <laughs> right. And here I was at Wheaton to study to become the Bible, (laughs) and I'm getting a front row seat to it right there by some guy on my floor that I barely know, okay? Again, who is Jesus to God? His one and only son. God gave his one and only son before any of us ever confessed or repented. God gave first, and it multiplied. And we see that so clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and it leads to a simple question, will we be similarly generous or will we be stingy?